Welcome back to Next Scene Podcast, the podcast taking on Home Alone 2, one scene at a time. Once again, I'm your host, Sean, and once again, my co-host, Brian, is not able to join us today, but I've been assured he will be with us in our next episode. Um, Who has joined us today are two very, very special guests from the Rocky Horror Minute. It's Kelly and Leandra. Hey there. Hi. Welcome. Welcome, our unconventional conventionalists. <laughs> uh, Kelly and Leandra are with us today to talk about part four of our eight-part coverage of Home Alone 2. This section covers roughly from about minute 43 to the one-hour mark of the film. If you recall, part three wrapped up with Kevin eating his cheese pizza in the back of a limo and Tim Curry giving us his best Grinch's grin. (laughs) Uh, So this section opens up with Harry and Marv skating in Central Park. And then we end with uh, Kevin alone in the park after a chase. Um, And in between, we get some some other, other things happening, particularly involving the great Tim Curry, which is why I invited you two, our, our Tim Curry experts, to talk about this section. Excellent. <laughs> um, so let's kind of just start in the beginning. Uh, so Harry and Marv are skating in uh, Woolman Rink. This was filmed on location, uh, this, the ice rink at the south end of Central Park. I think we can see the Plaza Hotel through the trees, but I'm not certain. Uh, the main reason I like this scene is because it really fills us in that Marv is just, he's just a straight up crook. He likes to steal. It's big, small. We see he's snatching scarves and gloves and hats off of the skaters as they go by. Like he, this is, he's just a pure thief. He just mm-hmm. likes to steal. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's that kind of ongoing shtick that he has uh, through this that I just absolutely adore. Uh, it's it's very goofy and very over the top, just the fact that he's slowly clothing himself as the scene <laughs> progresses. Well, yeah, and I have it running. I just picked up the the earmuffs are another thing that he steals. So, yeah, he's he's slowly <laughs> assembling an outfit as they go by <laughs> just just to make it clear, um, you know, so Harry is definitely the brains of the 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 operation. And we get the. um we get the trope of laying out the plan, which as soon as Harry starts talking about it, like, you know it's not going to go well because it's, you know, it's too obvious. If they tell us the plan and then things happen the way they plan it, well, then there's no surprise. We'd be disappointed. So the fact that they tell us the plan means, all right, something's going to go wrong. Do you, do you get the, the same feeling? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The fact um, that he's... Uh, that that he's just getting almost too much detail, you know, that mm-hmm. something's going to go wrong and then everything's going to go off the rails. Yeah. Just, and we, and we know, we know from home alone, we know the way, you know, the, the, the genre of film we're in, the good guys do not prosper <laughs> <laughs> here. Even if Harry and Marv don't know they're in a movie yet, uh, we certainly know. And so we cut from uh, Harry. So Harry's showing us the, the, uh, the Duncan's toy chest ad in the newspaper as he lays out the plan. And then we fade to the actual Duncan's toy chest as uh, Kevin pulls up in his limo. Um, And this is filmed. So I guess they, they couldn't get FAO Schwartz 
for the film. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the standard when you talk about kind of like the big toy store in Manhattan. Uh, I think most people know FAO Schwartz and that's what they'll think of. But this is sort of the stand. And this bits these this is part of the some of the bits that weren't filmed on location. This is actually Chicago. Um I was about Chicago's Okay. Yeah. yeah, I was about to ask like where this was because I have lived in New York, I've been to mm -hmm. a lot and I've I had no idea where this was, so that makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting because when Kevin first arrives and he sort of does his tour of Manhattan and we can, we like, these are all real places we can locate. It was radio and some of them are very well known. And I guess this is kind of a, a movie making thing. Like they were all over the place because then the, the townhouse was a set in Hollywood. So that's like regular movie, you know, movie making in LA or in Hollywood for the, the stuff that happens in the townhouse and then a lot of the New York stuff is filmed on location in New York, but then there's a lot of stuff that they did in Chicago as well. So they, they put on the miles. Yeah, it's interesting that they would film separately in Chicago. Yeah. Rather than just building a set or something. Yeah, I figured, if, yeah, if there wasn't a toy store in New York they, they could use. Yeah, but I guess yeah. They, they, yeah. Yeah, I mean... So, but it was a, a fabulous looking toy store. I was actually, one of my main things I noticed about this scene was I do not find it credible that a child would leave that store so quickly. <laughs> I would have been there for hours, probably, if I walked in there as a kid. Yeah, and Kevin even makes the remark about when he, when he doesn't realize he's talking to Mr. Duncan, he's just talking to some guy working the register and he's like, Oh, Mr. Mr. Duncan must be a nice guy letting, uh, you know, letting the kids play with the toys. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually says there's some, some good lines and they're not, I don't know how realistic they are for a 10 year old, but they're fun just to see Macaulay Culkin delivering them. And when it particularly says, um, one of the finer toy dealerships I've ever visited in my life. <laughs> I just have a note yeah. like, what kid? What kid talks about a toy store as like a toy dealership? <laughs> yeah, that the was Macaulay Culkin's charm. The way he speaks with adults is just incredibly like over the top uh, and and sweet uh, in that very like I'm an adult too sort of way, but it's not quite right. Um, it, I really do like it. Yeah, this is like. The uh, Kevin is very similar to the character he plays in one of my favorite movies, Uncle Buck, like a precocious kind of. But yeah, I, I I love I love the way that Macaulay Culkin used to put on that sort of affectation. Yeah, yeah, he's and I, I think one of the reasons why, uh, kind of none of the follow ups have lived up to certainly not the first one, but even the second one. It just so much hinges on the actor, kind of the, the the actor playing Kevin or the actor playing the child who's the focus of the film. And to be able to carry, you really have to, you know, carry a feature film at at ten or twelve, you know, at that young age is is very difficult. Yeah, um, I th yeah. I mean, I think of so there's like you know Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone, and maybe Feruza Balk in Return to Oz trying to think of, of, you know, kind of a, a, you know, a child at that age who's able to carry a whole film. And so you know, it's a very, very short list. Uh, 
Tatum O'Neill and Paper Moon. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Another one of my favorites. Yeah. I mean, maybe um, Shirley Temple in, in yeah. some of her films, but it's, yeah, it is really a short list of, um, you know, that age. I mean, we're not even talking about, uh, you know, like a later teenager, like 16 or 17. So um, mm-hmm. well, I believe Macaulay Culkin was, was 10 uh, filming this. Like he is. A yeah. little kid. He's not. He's not a midget. He's not like a. He's not like <laughs> no. a little adult. He's an actual kid doing this, and he's 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 doing it well. I would say. Yeah, it's funny. So you mentioned like the way he talks to adults, and kind of. And Mr. Duncan asks about that. Asks about you know, are you are you shopping alone? And he like gives like he doesn't say yes or no. You know, he gives one of those non-answer answers where he says, "In New York, I'm afraid of my own shadow." <laughs> which is kind of like a, I think it's another window into the deviousness of Kevin that he kind of, you know, the answer <laughs> implies that he's not alone but if you pushed him on it, you'd be like well, he didn't lie, he didn't say yeah. he wasn't alone, he just implied it and the way Kevin deals with adults, which I wonder, like, so to a certain extent he's grown because of experience in the first film, but then he also kind of we got a little bit of this. That's also another little callback to to the motion picture, to Home Alone the first. Oh, when he was in the grocery store. Yeah, in the grocery store. <laughs> um, yeah. So it is kind of funny that, yeah, this, so the great toy store that he doesn't spend more time playing and he doesn't buy more because he's got, he's got an envelope of cash in addition to daddy's credit card. I don't know if he's... he's as, you know, at, at what point, at what grade in the Winnetka school system do they introduce budgeting? <laughs> <laughs> Something like, tells me Kev- that it was next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he's doing great. Yeah. Do you think Kevin has any idea of like what things cost, like how much, you know, how much money is he going to need to spend a few days alone in New York? Uh, I would sincerely doubt it <laughs> based on his age, but. I guess he, like we said, he is precocious, but you know, mm-hmm. yeah, he certainly. Oh, go ahead, please. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he certainly, uh, in other scenes, kind of spends some of that money just frivolously. I think that he understands that things cost money, but not that money has much meaning to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is appropriate for a child of his age. I think. I think you're right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I didn't think of it at the time, but looking back, like he realizes you have to pay for a hotel room. Like he knows enough to make the reservation and that it's going to need a credit card. He didn't just walk up and and say, hey, I need a room. So mm-hmm. like he had some knowledge of the process. Um, I guess he's seen it. They probably travel every year. I mean, we we only see two Christmases up to this point. Maybe they travel every year. So he's been through the the ho- he's seen his parents go through the hotel check-in process before um, and see them spend money and buy stuff. So it's the same idea how these things work. And just as a side note, if you had left one of your kids at home the year before, would you, <laughs> would you immediately like, the next year go like, okay, well, that's clearly never going to happen again. Let's go ahead and have one of these gigantic uh, like multifamily big vacations i i feel like i'd at least take a buffer year yeah man i don't know i mean they're not let's face it they're not great parents 
<laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. They're they're not great parents. It would make sense. And and I mean it, it especially makes sense to I think most of us here in 2021 because probably a lot of us didn't travel for the holidays last year or didn't, you know, didn't travel um, as much as we, we ordinarily would have. So we kind of took a buffer year. We took a year off and, and now we're regrouping. So yeah, maybe it would have made sense. But maybe they're thinking, hey, they didn't, you know, kind of that, that ruined, but maybe they feel they need to make up because last year they didn't really get much of vacation. Like, so they get to France, they realize Kevin isn't there. They pretty much just turn around and come back. Um, they just stay in the apartment of the family that they're visiting in Paris and they pretty much just wait for the next available flight. They turn around and come back. So they didn't really get a vacation. So maybe they feel they need to make up for it. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Here, and that's why. But I'm sure that they also hopefully had a nice long conversation with Kevin about paying attention and being part of the group. And they had this talk and they were sure that everybody was on the same page. And yet. <laughs> yeah. And yet. Yeah. And yet they're they're still not good parents. Yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, while uh, well, this never happened to me. Many people I know have been left behind by their parents on a trip, like at a gas station or something. But you should realize it a little quicker than that. <laughs> yeah, with Kelly, it wasn't a mistake, but I'm sure that no, she did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ouch. Oh man. <laughs> I know in our episode, we had talked about it when Kevin arrives in New York and he went that whole flight and didn't see anyone else he recognized and, and didn't really question it. But then on the flip side, so yeah, so the, the rest of the family, they flew all the way to Florida from Chicago. And, you know, just those, speaking of irresponsible parents, the adults just stayed in first class. I know. At no point during the flight did they walk back to, you know, coach and just check in and make sure all their kids are on the plane. <laughs> Listen, I do not fault them for that. And here's why. If your yeah. kids are Kevin McAllister and Kevin McAllister adjacent children, mm -hmm. then you're going to stay up in first class where they are giving you alcohol for yeah. just as long as you possibly can. <laughs> Like, Perhaps it, subconsciously, maybe you know, maybe this wasn't like fully a mistake. Maybe on some subconscious level, they're trying to lose Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Once is a mistake. Twice, yeah. eh, <laughs> you got to start questioning your motives there. <laughs> yeah, they they at least should put him on a leash or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Kevin has a nice little conversation with with Mister Duncan. Uh, Duncan talks about how all the all the profits, all the cash from their Christmas Eve sale is going to the children's hospital. And Kevin is so, so uh, moved by this. He tosses in a 20 um, saying, besides, I'll probably spend it on stuff that will rot my teeth and my mind. <laughs> and that's I think that's I think that's something like <laughs> another thing that Kevin heard or. You know, either hurt or, you know, something his parents had said to him or something he saw on television. He's kind of a living, uh, a living talk boy. We see him repeat a lot of things talking about his precociousness. Um, there are probably a lot of things that he just overheard as a child that he's just repeating back. And this sounds like one of them that like, oh, this will just rot my teeth. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, speaking of talk boys, just real fast. Oh, yeah. uh, when this came out, I the my sister and I both got talk boys and I pretty much immediately lost mine. And my sister spent like the next three weeks just being a complete jerk to me about she's like, oh, here's my talk boy. Nah, 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 nah. So I hid hers in a board game box and then promptly forgot about it. And like six years later, we found it. <laughs> so i was like oh hey here's your talk boy sorry about that still worked <laughs> what is a talk boy uh, it's only the coolest toy ever that's merchandised <laughs> with home alone too it's like a recorder uh, okay. but i think it only records like what five seconds at a time something like that and then it spits it back out i don't know gotcha and yeah, it slows so it up and it uh, you can either slow it up or uh, or slow it down or speed it up, the uh, the little clip that you record. Gotcha. Okay. So it was that thing. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the recorder Kevin uses, to he slows down his voice so that he sounds like, yeah. uh, so he sounds like his father when he makes the, the hotel reservation. And then. Could you do that with it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it had a speed adjustment, so you could okay. slow down the playback. So, uh, yeah, so you could, as a little kid, you kind of re- record your voice and then play it back slower. And then the, uh, the uh, was it the tone? The tone would drop, so you'd sound. Oh, yeah, it would have been very annoying with that. Sound a very but... slow, tarking, deep-voiced adult. Yeah, there's well, only so many different tones of na 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 that you can deal with before you, <laughs> before you as another child, snap. <laughs> yeah now i didn't have a talk boy when i was a child one so one of the things one of the features or it looks like it has in the film is the it's like a directional microphone like the microphone isn't just built into the body there's something sticking out was that was it an actual directional mic in the actual toy do you remember it i don't remember for sure but i kind of remember it only looking functional if that makes sense <laughs> like uh, it looked a lot cooler than it actually was mm-hmm. so i i think that it was built to kind of look like it would pick up more than it actually did but if i recall correctly i kind of had to have it right in front of my face in order for it to pick me up particularly well okay yeah that sounds i guess i won't be replacing our podcast mics with that just yet then <laughs> i mean yeah. <laughs> I think that's true of a lot of toys in the 80s and 90s that they looked a lot cooler than they actually were. Because they make it look like, I'm trying to think of other examples. I know specifically in the beginning when he tapes, because uh, he records the sort of the contact information for the plaza when that's on TV, that kind of points the microphone towards the television and is able to clearly record that from across the room. Uh, so that he can play it back. So then he knows oh. that's how he knows the that's how he knows the phone number for the hotel to make the reservation. But um, yeah, yeah, probably not quite that directional in real life. <laughs> no. oh, that's a shame. Um, so wrapping up this section in the toy store with Mr. Duncan in appreciation for Kevin's uh, Kevin's generosity and charity, uh, Duncan gives. Uh, gives him two turtle dove ornaments from the tree. And he says that the uh, the ornaments or the turtle doves are a symbol of friendship and love. Give one to a friend. And as long as you each have your turtle doves, you'll be friends forever. Aww. Yeah. So I just assume you, Kelly and Leandra, you have your own pair of turtle doves that you share. Is that true? 
they're not that type of bird. That's not the one yes. that I gave her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is um, a. That, but yeah, that um, was that was a sweet moment. Yeah. So but, I wonder if this. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I liked how he was like. He gave him twenty dollars, and then he was like, oh, "Well, here, take an ornament." And he's like, "For free?" And I was like, "Well, for twenty dollars, wow. do you want to think about yeah. it like that?" <laughs> free with a donation of twenty dollars. Yeah. Ten dollar ornaments. Yeah, we've got to talk to uh, to Kevin about the idea of free. So he he understands <laughs> some things about money, but um, maybe doesn't know about taxes yet. He thinks all that stuff is free. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, speaking of taxes, I, this must be a huge tax write-off every year for the Duncan Toy Store, right? Oh, yeah. It yeah. have to be. Yeah, obviously, yeah. just a huge tax dodge to yeah. <laughs> uh, give all that money. <laughs> well, I'm sure, like, so he's donating it to the children's hospital, and then, like, is there a kickback thing where, like, once a week the kids at the hospital have a, a, trip, to, uh, a trip to the toy store where they can buy Ooh. toys? Is he, like... The the official toy supplier for the children's hospital. Yeah. Oh, that's some good synergy. I like that. There you that. go. He's, he's got a little gift shop in the lobby. Like if people want to buy, you know, a teddy bear or something for a toy or for a child that's in the hospital, there's little. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He supplies the gift shop. Oh, I love that. There you go. So this is a kickback for exclusive, the exclusive um, franchise for the hospital gift shop. We're on to you, Mr. Duncan. Can't fool us. Um, so I wonder, like, so if you, uh, so Kelly and Landry, if you're familiar with Home Alone and Old Man Marley, who sort of uh, starts off as sort of scary, but ends up kind of making a connection with Kevin and, uh, you know, sort of like a, an elder role model that Kevin can learn from. And then also he learns from Kevin as well. Uh, so at this point in the film, are you getting the idea? Did you think that, um, that this Mr. Duncan, like, could he be the old man Marley of Home Alone 2? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I thought yeah. that that was kind of like what they were setting up. Like, oh, it's going to be like the uh, the very, uh, very fun, somewhat um, eccentric adult that gets mm -hmm. Kevin in a way that other adults don't. Yeah, I would say I had a similar thought process. Because it's kind of, I mean, he's got a little bit, I would say, I think it's, more that the pigeon lady kind of turns out to be more that role and it kind of more mm -hmm. parallels it in terms of someone that th Kevin thinks is kind of scary at first and then gets to know her and she turns out she's nice. But at this point, we've just seen kind of an anonymous woman in the park with a bunch, you know, feeding the pigeons that Kevin's runs past. And so she isn't yet really part of the story. So, yeah, at this point, I kind of had that feeling as well that it's kind of, oh, here's, yeah, here kind of the elderly adult that's showing an interest in Kevin and um, kind of what's going to go on there. That kind of wraps up anything else on, on the toy store or Mr. Duncan you want to touch on before we uh, head out? No, I don't think so. Okay. Let's get out of this toy store. Yeah. Well, I do, oh, uh, I should say before we completely leave, we get another shot of uh, Harry and Marv and a little, uh, another piece of their plan, which is they're going to hide inside houses, inside the toy store. And so they'll be already inside when the toy store closes. And that's how they're going to be able to um, get all, you know, break into the register, get all the money and escape into the night. And the fact that every time somebody passes by, they freeze like that's going to make them disappear <laughs> is just it's it's classic. I, I really I, I can't imagine 
seeing that happen and not going, bro, I can still see you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, in this in this world, in the kind of the, the cartoonish, like live action cartoon that is the Home Alone world. Yeah, it works. Oh, yeah. And as we'll see later, they'll be able to come out and they're inside the toy store already when it closes. So good planning. uh, Way to go, Harry. (laughs) So then speaking of Harry and Marv, so Kevin's out on the street looking at a map, probably kind of wondering what's his next stop going to be. Um, When Harry and Marv approach him. And one of the things I wondered, what happens to the limo? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, good call. You know, it, you know, talking about I mean, what a kind of one of the central themes that keeps coming up talking about these films is the irresponsibility of all the adults or, or most of the adults around Kevin. So this, yeah, this limo driver is just like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to drop this kid off at the toy store and then see ya. You're on your own. It's like I mean, a luxury Uber. Yeah, well, I guess, I don't know, is this something, have you ever stayed at a, at a higher-end hotel establishment, and is this something they just have, like, limos on call? Like a limo stand? <laughs> not, yeah. Not anywhere I've ever stayed, but... For their guests? <laughs> yeah, and there's really nowhere I've ever stayed. I don't know if, if maybe the limo had to go back to the hotel and there's another guest to pick up or something, but uh, certainly not waiting on Kevin. Um, so he's, you know, confronted by Harry and Marv and why do they approach Kevin at this point? Like they got to figure like, okay, this is a pretty big coincidence. Like this big city, one that we both end up in New York, that we happen to run into each other. Do you think like, should they just leave well enough alone? Like, oh, if Kevin goes right, we're going left. Like just avoid him. You would certainly think so. At least Harry should have the sense to do that. Yeah. Because as we'll see later, like they do, well, obviously they remember Kevin and they remember what happened last year. This, this is only, it's, uh, it's two years later that the film came out, but in they, there's constant references to the events of last Christmas. So it's only a year later, you know, in, in the film world. So like they should know this kid's bad news. Like you just don't want anything to do with him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Kevin takes off and uh, Harry and Marv go off in pursuit. Um, and I like one of the things. So he passes a um, a vendor that's selling pearl necklaces that I'm sure of the highest quality. Yeah. And he shout <laughs> any guy shouting out two for five dollars, four for ten. Like, well, yeah, that's just. That's just math. <laughs> kind of makes it sound like it's, you know, if you buy more, it's like a better value. But no, it's the same thing. Like if you just double the number of necklaces you're getting, you pay twice as much. Yeah. He's just laying it out there. So Kevin grabs a couple and and tears them apart for the, um, uh, you know, spreading the pearls on the street, which is uh, one of the indications, other than the fact that they're being sold on a street corner. Um, at two dollars and fifty cents a piece, the other indication these are not quality pearls is that the the strings just fall apart and the pearls go down in the street. A a good quality pearl necklace they should be individually knotted so that if the necklace breaks, you don't have right. pearls running everywhere. The way this goes, um, but then we have a nice little you know another nice little callback to 
to the first film. Whereas, um, you know, we had Harry and Marv go flying from the micro machines that Kevin had spread out in the house. Here they go flying. More great stunt work because they and, and the stunt the stunt guys have talked about it from Home Alone, the original, where they talk about they just wanted everything to be as you know kind of high and as big and as over the top as they could. Um, they really go flying here on these pearls. Yeah, that was a great stunt for sure. And so with with Kevin and Marv flat on their back. Oh, and <laughs> I like the little touches, the the little bits of detail. As Kevin and Marv are flat on the back, Marv still has the sticky glove that he's been using to hijack coins out of the Salvation Army buckets. And we see the glove is just covered in pearls. Oh, I hadn't noticed that. I like those the the, the little details that just kind of add funny things. Yeah, if you, if you pause it when you see them on their back, he's got, yeah, the pearls stuck all over his sticky glove um, for the sticky bandits. Um, so running off, Kevin gives his uh, another callback, another sort of calling card of the Home Alone films. Kevin gives his little fist pump and he goes, yes, as he runs back to what he probably is assuming is his his safe base of the Plaza Hotel. But he is confronted on the front steps by Mr. Hector, the concierge played by. The great Tim Curry. Uh, So Tim Curry uh, playing Mr. Hector with grinning the way only Tim Curry can as Kevin approaches. And I'm sure Hector feels that he's good at his job and and probably is good at his job. But unfortunately here he falls into the irresponsible adult category. So he has discovered that the credit card that Kevin is using has been reported as stolen. So he confronts Kevin as the, on that. Why isn't he more concerned with the people that are chasing Kevin? But Kevin says, someone's after me. Yeah. I, I think that perhaps Tim Curry or Hector rather, uh, he's just of the mind that this is a compulsive liar sort of kid who, uh, who is saying whatever he can to get out of this. That's my hope. It, it would be really, really awkward to think that he goes, yeah, I'm fine with it. But anyway. Yeah. So he does say, yeah, the st- your store wouldn't take your stolen credit card. But again, he's ten- like if, he, if this was 15, 16, like a little bit of an older, a, a teenager, I could kind of see that, oh, he's just a delinquent. You know, try to pull one over. But he is 10. I mean, has, has Mr. Hector been so beaten down? Is he so cynical, you know, from his life in the big city, from all the many tawdry things with the you know, high-powered businessmen and uh, uh, diplomats that stay at the plaza? I mean, I'm sure he's, he could write a book, but is he so cynical that he can't see, you know, the, the purity in the heart of a 10-year-old boy? Who's to say that Kevin is being honest about how old he is? Oh, that's true. I mean, there's a chance that uh, the Hector's just gone. We don't even know if this is a kid. Yeah, this is just a complete scumbag who's uh, who's committing credit card fraud. That's true. That's true. Could just be. It's just a short adult. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Mr. Hector says, "Let's see what the police have to say about this," and 
Kevin takes off. And this kind of, this is, I like this because one of the things, you know, people will say through all of uh, Kevin's shenanigans and monkey shines is, so why doesn't he, why doesn't he go to the police if he's lost and uh, particularly if he's uh, being chased by these crooks and he's worried for his safety, why not go to the police? And here we have the answer is he's worried about getting busted for credit card fraud. Later in the elevator, he actually says, I've committed credit card fraud, which mm, technically, yeah. I don't know. So have, have either of you, Kelly or Leandra, have you ever committed credit card fraud? I mean, in this sense of using my parents' credit cards, I guess, although I had their permission, so. Mm-hmm. I have yeah. never, because I'm a never. lady. You've never used a credit card that wasn't <laughs> yours? Never, I, never? I haven't. Never, ever, ever. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cop to it. I, I am trying to think at least once and without permission. Uh, mm-hmm. I bought concert tickets. I Yeah, I called up Ticketmaster. I'm trying to remember where I got the card, how I got the number. I don't know. Somehow I got uh, my parents' credit card. I called up Ticketmaster, ordered tickets, and then I asked permission. So after I'd already done it, then I asked to say, hey, you know, my friends and I want to go to this concert. Can I use your credit card to order tickets? And fortunately, they said yes. I hadn't really. (laughs) I don't know what I would have done if they had said no. But so I guess technically, I mean, I did get permission. I just had permission afterwards. I don't know if that counts as fraud or not. I think uh, it does. It does. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Okay. I've been the victim of credit card fraud many times. Oh, that's that's much less fun. Yeah. Um, the committing is more fun than the the victim of. Yeah. So uh, so Mr. Hector shouts, "Stop that child!" and uh, takes off after Kevin. We get there's there's a f- a few callbacks in this section. Um, one is the sliding, and they actually um, so this this is filmed on location in the Plaza Hotel, like the other Plaza bits. And this section in front of the elevators was originally carpeted, and they took the carpet up just for this scene, so that Kevin could slide through. Um, Hester Stone is our uh, desk clerk, so she could slide through the legs of Miss Stone and into the elevator. And this, of course, replicating. Uh, Kevin slide across the ice in uh, Home Alone, the motion picture at that point when he's running from the police after uh, after running out of the drugstore with the toothbrush unpaid. Um, So we've got the callback to the slide and then another bit of kind of people flying feet overhead and then crashing down on their back. But of course, being the sequel, they have to one up it. And it isn't just Harry and Marv. It isn't just two people. It's three people this time, as Hector and Cedric are bell, uh, bellhop or bellboy, bellhop, bellboy, bellboy. Yeah, bellhop. That's like at the airport. That's something else. Yeah. Uh, so as uh, Hector and Cedric, our bellboy, go crashing into Miss Stone, and they all end up flat on their backs as the elevator door closes, and Kevin has got away for now. Yeah. Not for long at all. But. Yeah. And I like there's a little. So Hector is um, Mr. Hector is on the floor. He's reaching up towards Kevin as the door is closing. And he says, you little shh. And the elevator's mm-hmm. door closes. 
before <laughs> it could finish that. I guess we've got to keep that PG rating. So yeah. we, don't, we don't want to finish. Um, I have a feeling Hector was going to say a naughty word there. <laughs> <laughs> um, we later see the uh, Hector and his crew closing in on Kevin's room on the suite where he's staying on the fourth floor. Um, and this is one of my favorite uh, lines of the film and one of, one of the best deliveries, uh, kind of very Tim Curry. We're saying, get me security and I, I'll try to do it. I know it won't be as good or, or even close, but we've got to stop that delinquent. <laughs> that is certainly better than somebody's Tim Curry impression. <laughs> Andrew, your Tim Curry impression's not that <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So what do you... <laughs> I don't know why. I always sound Australian when I try and do Tim Curry. <laughs> I sound like Sean Connery when I try and do Australian. And... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows why these things are, but they just are. Um, so what do you think? Do you see a little bit of... Do you see the common strains of a little bit of Frankenfurter here in, uh, in the concierge of the Plaza Hotel? Oh, I certainly think so. Uh, I guess... Yeah, I guess like uh, it's sort of like sort of Damocles, right? If Kevin's Rocky, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uh. yeah, I think the relationship is certainly different. Not, not yeah, no, not any, not no other similarities. Just the chase, just the chase. Yeah, and we yeah. know, um, we know Tim Curry can give. I mean, chance. technically, Kevin's older than Rocky, but right, it's yeah, true. well, he's. He's more yeah, than seven I mean, hours old. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a step in the right direction here. Yeah. So uh, the desk clerk in this is Dana Ivy, and mm -hmm. uh, and I absolutely adore her work in another uh, one of my favorite kind of film uh, film series from around that same time, which of course is the Adams Family. So. But also, she has the same birthday as me. Different year, Kelly. Different year. Just yeah. want to clarify that before you. She does look a little younger. Anyway. Yeah, we haven't said much about Miss Ivy playing or, or Dana Ivy playing the, the crook. Yeah, but she's been in, in both the Adams Family and the follow-up Adams Family value. She's got quite... Um, an extensive listing in IMDb, um, which is kind of in contrast to some of the other other bit parts and other small, uh, uh, I was going to say smaller actors, but you know, they're no small actors, only, <laughs> only small parts. Um, it's kind of a shame. So we see them approaching, uh, approaching the room, eventually entering our, our full entourage. It's uh, so Mr. Hector, the concierge, it's uh, our desk clerk, our uh, bellboy with uh, two members of security. Um, and the only one that's named is Cliff who will get called out <laughs> in the dialogue from uh, the, the angels with filthier souls. And, um, Oh yeah. And, and so Cliff here is played by uh, Fred Claus. He's only got one IMDb listing and I haven't been able to find, I know some people like IMDb does kind of movies and TV. So sometimes there's actors that have a lot of stage work. That's, you know, they, they did a lot of acting. It's just not in IMDb, but I wasn't able to find anything on on Fred Claus, who plays Cliff. So as as far as I can tell, this may be his his only part. 
Yeah, which is kind of a shame because he really does well. So this is a, a callback to the motion picture where we get the the dialogue from uh, the angels with filthy souls. So now they're they're filthier souls. And of course, this is all set up earlier in the film when we watch Kevin watching this film and kind of was has this tape been paused? Yeah, it's like. We see Kevin watching this scene, like, so right after that scene ends, Kevin pauses and has left the tape at that point, like, since then. Just in case. Uh, yeah. Just be prepared. <laughs> just in case. Which I think is just more the, the deviousness of Kevin, that he was kind of planning this or anticipating it. The, the first Tim Curry scene where he comes in and he's got his inflatable clown in the shower and he uses the recording of Uncle Frank to pretend that he's an adult in the shower and um, that's to get Tim Curry to leave or get he Mr. Hector to leave. And like that, like must have been all set up because he didn't get, you know, he didn't have any notice. He didn't know the concierge was coming in. And again, here, like it doesn't seem like, like it doesn't seem like he was planning to have security bust in on him and yet he's all prepared he's got all these things set up and also he hasn't unpacked it not that he had a lot he just had his backpack and his father's bag that he was carrying he hasn't unpacked anything like he's just mm -hmm. he's got his go bag ready to go <laughs> he just grabs some cookies out of the mini bar grabs his backpack and he can go at a moment's notice um this just this is an odd child, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I would. I think that that's an understatement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we get more great Tim Curryness. Um, the back and forth acting against. Well, he doesn't know he's acting against uh, the gangster on the VCR, but it's so he gets the the played back of the <laughs> the angels with filthier soul. The well, first the accurate accusation. Like you, you was here last night. You were here last night, and he's like, you know, hey, yeah, honesty is the best policy. Just say yes, yes, I was, sir. Um, and then you was here, and you was smooching with my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I love the reaction because it's he seems to kind of like think about it. We're like, all right, like he, like okay, I was smooching with somebody, but no, I'm pretty sure I wasn't smooching with this this man's brother. <laughs> Yeah, what are the odds? <laughs> what are the, it's like, well, you know, do you, do you know who his this guy's brother? Like, you could have been. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Note to self, ask Mark yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> so the, the dialogue of the gangster continues. You know, you've been smooching everybody. Snuffy, Al, Leo, Little Mo with the gimpy leg, Cheeks, Bony Bob, Cliff. And then they all turn to just happen to have... Um, one of the security guards you can see on his name tag just happens to be named Cliff. And I think like, like in Cliff protests, Cliff, Cliff's everyone looks at Cliff and says it, and he says, it's a lie. I know Cliff should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Cliff could do worse than uh, be smooching with Hector. Yeah. Yeah, Tim Curry in his prime. Well, they all seem to suddenly forget, including Mr. Hector. So Hector, you know, is kind of a gasp. Uh, looking at Cliff, but it's like, well, no, the accusation was Cliff was smooching with you. So, but like, he seems ready to condemn Cliff as like, and, and you know, if, if they're all con consenting adults, what's wrong with a little smooching anyway? I know. I'm not quite sure what they're objecting to, but yeah, he kind of 
Mr. Hector seems to like be buying buying into this somehow. Like he's ready to uh, to judge Cliff as guilty, but it's like, well, no, then, then you're guilty because that's the accusation. Was that you two were smooching last night, or smooching in general? I guess not all last night, but uh, but Cliff objects, says it's a lie. Which again, what's wrong with a little smooching? Just yeah. go with it, you know. Especially on the holidays, uh, mistletoes everywhere. You can't like, although it is flu season. You can't say no to. I mean, that's true. But if Hector's around with some mistletoe right above him, like if, if I'm Cliff, are you saying no to that smooch? I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Well, as a concierge, like, doesn't his, like, Mister Hector, his job is pleasing people. So I would think if you're gonna be smooching. He's probably a decent smoocher, probably, you know, an extension of the profession. I would have probably that. good, probably a people pleaser. Yeah. I, you know, again, I think, I think Cliff could be doing much worse. Have you ever stayed at sort of a high end hotel or it will stay anywhere with a concierge or interacted yeah. with a concierge at all? And they did smooch me. So, and they did. Was that it good? That was not my experience. <laughs> no, I, it, I don't have too much concierge experience but i imagine the imagine a big part of the job is pleasing people and i think that's coming through here uh with, with tim curry's acting like he's actually contrast with with the line cliff where cliff says when accused of smooching says it's a lie where the concierge says i'm afraid you're mistaken yeah so i guess it's probably you know you you, you know you never you don't want to say no to the guest and you don't contradict the guest. So it's just, I'm afraid, I'm afraid you're mistaken, sir. <laughs> he doesn't want to outright call it a lie or deny it. And then, uh, then Johnny, the gangster says, get down on your knees and tell me you love me. <laughs> and he does it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they all get down on their knees and then, so Johnny says, uh, you got to do better than that. And then sort of as a conductor, Tim Curry raises his hand and he leads the group um, in unison to say, I love you, which is, it's just cartoonish ridiculousness. I'm pretty sure an actual concierge would never do this. Yeah, I think that's uh, beyond the call of duty even for them. But it is yeah. the holidays. I mean, when, yeah. would you, when, when, if not now? Yeah. True. A lonely time for many people. And we should say, I love you to, um, to our friends and family, maybe more than we do. Um, I don't know if we necessarily want to do it to strangers in a hotel room, but why not? <laughs> you know, kind of a. Um, Depends what my rate is. Yeah. Just kind of a, a humankind sort of love. It doesn't have to be, not necessarily even a romantic love. It can be, um, you know, like the love of a fine cigar, for example. Yeah. You can just yeah. love your and fellow man. For instance, if Kelly was friend or family to me, I would probably say I love you very much to her. <laughs> but as it is, she's a co-host, which is yeah, neither, yeah. neither of those things, neither friend nor family, right? Yeah. Sort of a, um, sort of a foil to me. Yeah. And I like that. Um, so this whole ruse that Kevin is playing with <laughs> with the dialogue from the film has kind of worked 
because then when, when Johnny says, I'm going to let you go, they all sigh in relief, like, oh, we get to go. Like, they seem to have forgotten. No, you're you're there. You're looking for this young boy that you were chasing. Like, you don't, you're not supposed to want to go. You're supposed to want to go into the other room to see if that's where the boy is hiding. But obviously, Kevin is uh, smarter than all the adults around him and has turned it around where they're happy to leave rather than pursuing him. Now, I did have a question in terms of, I know I've, I've given some praise to Mr. Hector as played by Tim Curry and his concierging ability to work with a difficult guest. But then after the gunshot fires in the, the film and they all um, kind of, they dive for the ground and they, they're climbing out into the hallway. And he says, stay in your rooms. This is an emergency. There's an insane guest with a gun. Um, did you think that was, you know, kind of taken aback, maybe not the best thing for the concierge to announce? I, I feel like that would cause far more panic than literally any other thing. So I agree with you. That's um, yeah. it's probably not uh, not in the handbook. <laughs> yeah, I would think the, the, the concierge training is probably, you know, keep the guests out of harm's way. Maybe say, you know, stay in your rooms, but not announce that there's a crazy guest with a gun or insane guest with a gun. Maybe downplay it, say anything else. You know, nothing to see here, nothing to worry about. Return to your rooms, remain calm. Rather than, uh, rather than, I guess, the panic at this point. There's an insane guest with a gun. We then, we follow Kevin down out into the street where he is nabbed by, or actually he, so he ducks out the back door onto the loading dock. Harry and Marv just happen to be waiting to, to grab Kevin. So I kind of want to, I kind of want to hang back and see like, cause at some point they're going to realize there's no gun. There's no bullet holes. The movie continues to play. Like, what? what's the scene like? What's going on in the hotel when they realize they've been kind of scammed or fooled and there is no insane gunman? I, I can only imagine in this universe that they're going, oh, man, not again. Because if this is a thing that works, I'm sure it happens frequently enough in the hotel that some iteration of this just happens at least once a month so Hector's just like can't believe he fell for it again well so yeah because this I is should have known better <laughs> well yeah Kevin doesn't travel with a VCR and a library of tape so this he must have there's a kind of a library on site of videotapes that you can request for room service that they loan out for guests to watch in their rooms so, yeah, how often does someone leave this film playing a little bit too loud and then everyone on the floor kind of kind of drops, you know, drops to the ground and, and worries about this gunman? How often does this happen? But so then Kevin runs into the waiting arms of Harry and we see on the hand the the M from the McAllister doorknob that got burned there last year. It's so good. It, I, I love that. Uh, that little detail of not only was Kevin just a menace, he he physically scarred somebody for life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess this is also kind of an explanation because what we'll see later uh, when Harry and Marv are, are, 
are trying to get Kevin in the townhouse and they're they're beset by all the the traps that Kevin has laid. Uh, Marv kind of rushes in. We see there's several instances where Harry is tentative, where he's cautious. He kind of feels things out. He doesn't just rush in. And the the physical scarring might uh, might be that difference because Marv looks like he's pretty much recovered from all the injuries he suffered last year. But yeah, Harry's got this reminder every time he looks at his, I think it's his left palm. Every time he looks at his palm, he sees the the M from, yeah, who had, and it's, <laughs> I know we asked this question when we talked about Home Alone, and I'll ask it again. Who has a monogrammed doorknob? Doorknob, yeah. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Is that even a thing? I've never seen it. No, but this is clearly a very wealthy family, so. Yeah. Clearly, Peter is well-to-do. They've got that big house with all the children. He's able to fly down um, uh, fly down two large families down to Florida and pay for the airfare. And he... he Paris? Well, yeah the, yeah, the Paris trip in the first one, which would be even more. And then, so we've got... So we've had the plan. Now we get more of the plan, which, again, the, the trope of kind of the bad guys... Uh, you know, explaining the plan, over-explaining as Marv goes through um, in front of Kevin of kind of their plans for Duncan's Troy chest. And we get a flash to um, flash to Kevin Kevin's pocket where he's got the talk boy, where that little, um, what, it, what appears to be an external microphone, sort of a little boom that sticks out of the talk boy. Kevin's got it sticking out of his pocket, so he's recording sort of the confession that Marv has given at this point. It's like, why just, you know, obviously Marv is not too intelligent. <laughs> and to wrap it up so that they get their leading Kevin, I guess we're not really sure. I guess they kind of sounds like they're going to lead him to a dock or a pier and toss him off into uh, the East River. Yeah, but, I said they're putting him on ice. Yeah, putting him on Brutal. ice. Which, when I first saw this film, I was like, I don't understand why you would do that. Why wouldn't you just kill him? And you have to understand, I was a child, so that just mm-hmm. went completely over my head. On the one hand, you say, well, they, they kind of need some privacy or need, you know, they don't want to kill him right here on the street. But they have privacy in, like, the loading dock in that alleyway. They could probably just end it right there. But I guess they're, they're, they're leading him to a, another location. Now these crooks, they will, they will break into houses. They will uh, rob a toy store on Christmas Eve, but they don't jaywalk. I like that. That's <laughs> they're waiting. Uh, you know, at the corner, they're waiting for the light to change. And Kevin, being uh, the devious child that he is, realizes he's standing. They're standing behind a woman. If he pinches their, their bottom, he can blame it. <laughs> on the guys. So this is kind of like, why not just yell that you're being kidnapped? <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's people everywhere. That's just crazy talk. Don't yeah. That just makes too much sense. Yeah. Um, oh, Kevin's just, he's setting a challenge for himself. How can I get out of this without doing anything obvious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that I guess I was thinking was that he may feel that if he draws attention to that, the next obvious question is going to be, where are your parents? Then his New York adventure is over. 
Yeah, I guess if people see he's missing, yeah, they, then they call the police yeah. and then the whole credit card thing. Yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, it doesn't matter. He's just a little rapscallion goose in women's bottoms. Or he, um, <laughs> yeah, he's a yeah, rapscallion. Well, because this is so at this point, it's after the conf- confrontation for Mr. Hector, where he talks about the stolen credit card. But even the first encounter in this section with Harry and Marv in front of the toy store, that's before before any mention of a stolen credit card and mention of the police when they try to grab him then. And he just runs for it. He doesn't, with all the people around, doesn't think to, hey, you know, you're not my mommy or something like that to, uh, mm-hmm. to get attention. So he, he pinches this woman's bottom. He sexually assaults this woman. <laughs> yeah. And then... <laughs> Which is hilarious in the nineties. Yeah. So she. Yeah, well, yes. It, that. That's what. That's what kind of passed for comedy back then. And, I know. But so she turns and punches Marv. So this is actually, and this is actually the same woman earlier in the film that they passed on the street, who uh, who slapped. I think she slapped Marv at that point. So she probably recognized him. Punches Marv. He goes down. Kevin then punched points to Harry, says he did it. She punches Harry out. Kevin says thanks, and she nods to him. She kind of gives Kevin a little nod, which I thought was weird. Like, like she, that seems, like, from her point of view, like, why is this kid thanking me? Like, what do you think she's thinking at this point? That's a great question. I don't have an answer for you, but I did want you to know that I thought it was a great question. I, well, I okay. I also, I, I mean, I yeah. thought the same thing. Like, if that happened and then the kid that was with them took off, I would be, like, alarmed, right? Right. I'd be like, okay. either this kid it just that is their kid made a break for it or they were kidnapping him. Either way, this seems bad. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the kind of the pinching or the patting of the bottom may be something that she's not entirely unfamiliar with. Like, that's something that may have happened before. And so while she's not happy about it, she's not entirely surprised. So and then she's kind of prepared, like, okay, if someone's going to touch me in an unwanted way, I'm going to touch them back, namely a punch to the face. Yeah, wow. What I don't think which I assume has not happened before is this, this seemingly young child or very young looking adult, then thanking her for it. That's the, that's <laughs> the odd part. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Kevin says, thank you. She gives him a little nod and then he takes off because, and then she goes about her business because, Hey, kid running around alone in the city is apparently not a thing that anyone remarks upon anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Kevin, Kevin takes off into the park. Uh, Harry and Marv run off after them. They kind of got to go after him because he knows the plan. Like if they hadn't told him the plan, (laughs) then it could just be like, okay, let him go. This is a big city. We don't really need to worry about it. But they're not they're not too concerned because, as Marv says, this time he doesn't have a house full of dangerous goodies to get us with. Of course, little does he know the house that Kevin has is actually full of more dangerous goodies than 
than the original house. But he's in the park, he's alone, and kids are scared of the park. So are you are you kids? Are you scared of have you ever been alone in a park and are you a scared of the park? And particularly you mentioned having lived in New York City, were you scared of Central Park? Well, I was not a child when I lived there. Um, honestly, I was probably way more scared of Central Park as an adult than I ever yeah. would have been as a child, at least like at night, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, but in terms like I, I was completely fearless as a kid so i didn't care about anything like that um i certainly wouldn't have been afraid of parks or running around alone or anything i was doing stupid stuff all the time and to be the perfect foil to you i'm terrified of everything always and have been my entire life so being alone in a park would have been uh, perhaps not the most terrifying thing that had happened that day if i had gone through kevin's day but I wouldn't have been thrilled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kevin is certainly, um, certainly after the, the first movie, is not afraid of just being alone. And that hasn't seemed to bother him at all in this film, being without his family or being without uh, you know a trusted adult. He seems to do okay on his own. And particularly during the day, I'm not quite sure what Marv is talking about. Now, certainly in the 80s, and this is still the early 90s, being alone at night in Central Park, I could see something. But again, it, like you said, it, it's a lot of adult concerns. Maybe a, a child wouldn't know. And certainly uh, a kid from Chicago who doesn't know that much about New York City may not know that he's supposed to be scared of being alone in Central Park. But that would only be at night. I don't think there's too much to be afraid of, of the park during the day in daylight. But... Marv seems to think so. So for at least for now, they have stopped their pursuit and allow Kevin to to wander off as they, I guess, return to the toy store to resume their hiding, uh, waiting for closing. And that reaches the end of, uh, of part four of this section of the film. So anything else, anything else you wanted to add, Kelly and Lodger? Anything about um, about this section of Home Alone 2, about the rest of the film, or or the greater Home Alone cinematic universe? <laughs> I haven't I've only watched the first two, sadly. I I think that I'm on the same page as you, Kelly. The first two were uh, they came out right at a time when it was like very much meant for me. I was their target demographic, I think. And then uh, I didn't see either one until I was an adult. I, I saw them both for the first time like two years ago. Oh, okay. So much later. Yeah, I didn't see them as a kid at all. And what do you, how do they feel? I obviously, they're do they seem very dated? Do you feel they've aged well? What did you think of the films watching them now as, as an adult? Oh, yeah. No, I think I think they're classics for a reason. Like we were talking about how charming Macaulay Culkin was at that stage in his career. As far as family films go, I think it's aged very well. And it benefits from not having a lot of CGI or any uh, anything yeah. that really ties it technologically to an era. So I, I guess an argument can be made that the Talk Boy is a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit harder to go like, ah, oh, this could be any year. But 
at least as far as the look of the movie. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it still holds up just wonderfully. A lot of these scenarios would never happen with uh, with the advent <laughs> of cell phones and the internet and things like that. But I mean, in, in terms of a uh, in terms of movie quality and like uh, it being a period piece, it's it was very enjoyable to me. I love the Rube Goldberg machines and everything in the first one. So, uh, yeah, with with mobile phones and smartphones and everything. Uh, Kevin could keep in touch with his parents at the very least let them know oh I ended up on a plane in New York I'm using your credit card to check into a hotel so don't record the card is stolen because (laughs) I need this I need this so I have a place to sleep at night but yeah I agree in terms of the the practical effects that certainly uh, heavily kind of computerized films from the early 90s generally haven't as aged as well as the, the practical effects in the stunts in this film. So I do think that that helps out. Leandra, did you see this as, were you around when this first came out? Did you see it in the theater or what's your experience with, with home alone Two? So I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I know for a fact that I had it on VHS and I do know that my, that we, we got all of the like kid, the kid oriented merch for the, for the blockbuster films um, as a, uh, oh, when I was a kiddo, like I was, uh, I was very lucky to uh, to have kind of that growing experience. I, I got all of the, uh, all of the random fun, kitschy stuff. So, mm-hmm. so that's what I remember most about it. The tie-in. Very nice. Very nice. All right. Well, I think that that wraps it up for, uh, for this part of Home Alone 2. So, uh, Kelly and Leandra, thank you once again for joining us. If our listeners want to hear more from you, what do you got going on? What are you doing podcast-wise? Anything else you want to plug? Right. So we do Rocky Horror Minute, which is a minute-by-minute breakdown of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Uh, we are it's definitely, um, I'd say it has a PG rating. Just kidding. It's more like an R rating. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's not. It's, uh, it's filthy. Filthy animals. Yeah. But beyond that, I don't have any podcast projects going on, nor does Leandra that I know of. Uh, but we are we are on the DC Rocky Horror Cast. Uh, so once a month, uh, well, two one weekend a month, you can see us perform with the Sonic Transducers. We're back doing shows. Great, great, glad to hear yeah. the the shows are back. Yeah, I mean Rocky Horror, one of uh, well, the picture show, one of my favorite films, and you certainly get a lot more of the great Tim Curry there. Oh, yeah. And you can hear all about it at the Rocky Horror Minute. So I encourage folks to, to check that out. Uh, check us out. We're Next Scene Pod on the social media. You can share your uh, Central Park experiences in our Facebook listeners group, which is the Jelly of the Month Club. And... Uh, you can also check in on our website at nextscenepod.com. And so that is it for this scene. And we will see you next time on The Next Scene. You got a block? We'll take my advice. You better wise up. Jack Wiles. The transducer will seduce you. My feet. I can't move my feet. My heels. 
I can't move my wheels. It's as if we're glued to the spot. You are so quick with fear, you tiny fools. <laughs> <laughs>